Well, good morning. You turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17, the passage that Dave read a few moments ago. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find today's scripture text on page 1044, page 1044, John 13, 1 through 17. The text for today's message reads, at least the first five verses reads as follows. It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. A basin, a water pitcher, and a towel. These three items would have been normal accoutrements in any ancient Jewish home. You see, it was important to have a basin, a pitcher, and a towel in your home. In fact, it was important to set it just inside the door because uh, the dusty roads of Palestine uh, would cause you, after a journey or even a stroll, would cause your feet to be caked with mud or dust or animal dung. And so it was important to to follow this custom of washing feet. Not only was it important, but um, having someone available to wash your guest's feet was a sign of hospitality. It was a symbol of your warm welcome to your guests, to fling open the door of your home and to welcome them in as your honored guest. And so the owner of the house or the host of the home, uh, would assign one of his servants to perform this lowly task of washing his guests' feet. It would have been the lowest task in the pecking order in the household service staff. For you see, this task was not just reserved for servants. It was reserved for the lowest of servants. In the House's pecking order, the servant at the bottom of the totem pole would have had this assignment. To use the basin, the pitcher, and the towel. It's interesting to me to think about pecking orders. Isn't it interesting that in our society that there is such a thing? It doesn't only happen in the hen house. It happens in every circle of society. And somehow we intuitively understand the pecking order and we quickly grab hold of it. And most of us who don't have a rebellious spirit 
fall into line and we follow the pecking order and we give honor to those to whom honor is due. So this task of washing feet was reserved for the lowest of the low. It was reserved for ones who had no, the Latin word was the word dignitas, had no dignity or honor. In fact, this task was so very menial, so degrading, that even Jewish slaves, Jewish slaves refused to do it. And so it was assigned to the Gentile slaves to wash feet. It was entry-level stuff. Minimum wage. Mailroom assignment. Only the lowest would use the basin, the pitcher, and the towel. Now apparently, and we have to read a little bit between the lines here in John chapter 13, apparently the disciples were gathering together in the upper room, and we don't know all the intricacies of that gathering, but apparently the disciples had passed by the pitcher, the basin, and the towel, and had gone to recline at table to start the meal. Now you need to understand that washing feet was important, but particularly important because of the eating customs in Jewish society. For most of us, we have this picture of the Last Supper with Jesus and His disciples sitting at a long table, a board set up on sawhorses, a la Leonardo da Vinci. That's not what it was like. That's a nice romantic view of the Last Supper, but, but according to Jewish custom, the, the Jews at this feast would have been reclining at table. They would have been at a low table. It was called a triclinium. And it was horseshoe shaped. It was shaped like a U. And the guest would have sat on the outside of the U. Not sat really, but reclined on pillows. And so, probably not very good for digestion, but they reclined while they ate their meal. Now, I'm sure there are some husbands who are poking their wives and say, let's try that and you feed me while I'm reclining at the table. So it was particularly important, don't you think, that you would have clean feet at a table where everybody's leaning one up against another with our feet being exposed to our neighbor's face. Pretty important to have clean feet. But apparently... Because this task was so low, the disciples had walked right... They didn't even see the basin, the pitcher, and the towel. They had walked right past it and had reclined at table. Why did they walk past? Because the job was too lowly for them. They were disciples. Disciples don't wash feet. Only... Gentiles wash feet. It wasn't their task. Not their duty. Not my job. In many ways, the job was beneath them. And so, since apparently there had been no servants assigned to wash feet in the upper room, or at least so they thought, the basin and the pitcher and the towel left unused and untouched. But Jesus comes. 
The Scripture gives us some detail and says that it was just before the Passover feast, and he knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Jesus knew that the God the Father's plan of salvation was really coming to its zenith, was coming to an hour of cruciality. Jesus knew as He came to the upper room that the hour of His humiliation on the cross and His subsequent death and laying in the tomb and His resurrection from the dead, that those things were just just beyond the pale. He knew that it wasn't long before He would be nailed to a cross. He knew that it wouldn't be long for the soldiers to, to hit Him with their their whips, and scourge him. He knew that it wouldn't be long until a crown of thorns was placed on his head and that a sponge dipped in vinegar would be put up to his parched lips. It's amazing, isn't it, as you think about what Jesus knew there in the upper room. He knew that all of this was just a few hours away, and yet in this moment, He was not preoccupied with thoughts about what he was going to have to face. But instead, the text tells us, knowing that this hour was to come, he wanted to show the extent of his love for his disciples to them. Frankly, as a leader, I am am blown away by that statement. That here is Jesus with all these weighty things on his heart and mind, the cross, and the grave just before Him. And yet He's able to to rise above the level of, of that impending pain and death. And He wants to show His love for His friends. Now, I don't want to trifle with this text. I want to be true to it. But I think there's a very profound lesson here. And the lesson is a simple one. Sometimes when we're called upon to serve, it might mean us setting aside our own preoccupations and agendas in order to put the needs of others first. You know, I've discovered uh, that serving, serving others is not always a convenient thing. And serving others sometimes comes along at the most inconvenient times. But here is Jesus with so much on his mind willing to put all of those preoccupations aside and serve others. And friends, I would remind you that sometimes you and I are called to serve others when we have a lot of weighty stuff on our agenda. We are called to serve others when we are blinded by our own pain or our own tears. We are sometimes called upon to serve others when we can't see the way forward, when there's darkness all around us, when we're pressed by our own difficulties. Sometimes we're called to serve at inconvenient times. I don't know about you, but it's tempting to me that when I'm called upon to serve at a time that's not quite so convenient for me, to say, wow, can't you see I'm busy right now? Can't you see that I have more important things to do? Can't you see the burdens that I carry? Isn't it tempting for us to say on those occasions, hey, I don't have time for you right now. I've got to concentrate on myself. Perhaps it's in our relationship with our spouses. Perhaps it's in our relationships with our children or 
a co-worker or a friend or a brother or sister in Christ. Serving others can be terribly, terribly inconvenient at times. But Jesus, knowing that His hour had come, knowing what was ahead for Him personally, seeing it all clearly with 2020 vision, He does a very astonishing thing. The text tells us in verse 4 that He got up from the meal, He took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Get the picture in your mind. The disciples had bypassed the basin, the pitcher, and the towel. But Jesus, seeing their need for cleansing... Jesus wanting to show and demonstrate to them His love for them did an astonishing thing. He got up from the meal, the text says, and He took off His outer clothing and He took on the clothing of a servant. And He took the pitcher and He poured water into the basin. And he began one by one to wash the disciples' feet. I have searched all over the place to find a text or a paraphrase that says that Jesus only washed 11 of the 12 disciples' feet. I can't find it anywhere. Isn't it interesting to think that knowing that Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, so the text says, was there present at that meal, that even he was included in the foot washing. The one who would betray him with a kiss, the one who would trade away his loyalty for 30 pieces of silver, even he had his feet washed by Jesus. And what Jesus did there as he poured water and washed feet and dried them with a towel that was around His waist. What He did there was astonishing. It set tradition on its head. It caused everything to be topsy-turvy, discombobulated, out of kilter, totally awry. And can you imagine, can you imagine how the disciples must have felt They were too proud to wash one another's feet. But Jesus shows His love and His service. The one who should have had His feet washed by all of them instead turns the pecking order upside down and washes their dirty feet. I can't imagine the regret and the sorrow they felt, I can't imagine the pain that must have penetrated their hearts. That, that the one kneeling before them, washing their feet, was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I love the way that Max Locato comments on this particular text in John 13. He says it so beautifully. The one with the towel and basin is the King of the universe. Hands that shape the stars now wash away filth. 
fingers that form mountains now massage toes. Let's stop there for a moment. Feet are really an ugly thing, aren't they? I mean, I think of all, all of our body parts, our feet have to be one of the ugliest parts. Fingers that form mountains now massage toes. Last night as I was studying, I was sitting on the couch in my living room and I was feeling my bare feet. And my little toe, I was feeling my little toe. They've been, my little toe has been cramped in shoes for these 53 years. And my, now my little toe has a sharp ridge on it. It could slice butter. The one, the one whose fingers form the mountain is now massaging toes. And the one before whom all nations will one day kneel now kneels before his disciples. Hours before his own death, Jesus' concern is singular. He wants his disciples to know just how much He loves them. It's not the way a king should act. Washing feet was reserved for people with no dignitas. Only people of little value, the scum of the earth, were assigned to the basin, the pitcher, and the towel. But here was the King of kings and the Lord of lords picking up a basin, a pitcher, and a towel. The great I am with a basin, a pitcher, and a towel. His actions are revolutionary. His actions suggest something that's terribly counterintuitive. Because in our world, the more authority you get, the more privileges you should have. His actions teach a message that we don't expect and one that in our culture we don't necessarily want to hear because our world says that the more power you get, the higher up the ladder you ought to rise. But Jesus' actions here suggest that the more authority you get, the more you ought to serve. The more position you get, the lower you ought to live. The higher you get, the more humble you should become. You see, the way it works in God's kingdom is this, that the one who serves, the one who humbles herself or himself in God's kingdom is the one who is exalted. And the one who exalts himself is is humbled. Jesus says in Luke 22, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But Jesus says, But I'm among you as one who serves. Now that's not the way it works in our worldly kingdoms. No, the more we get, the higher we rise on the corporate ladder, the more power and wealth we attain, we expect to be assigned to the penthouse. But here is Jesus with a basin, a water pitcher, and a towel, and His actions are calling a moratorium on arrogance among Christ's disciples. When Jesus came to the point where He wanted to show the full extent of His love, He didn't move into the corner office with a window 
No, instead to show them His great love for them, He picked up a basin, a pitcher, and a towel. He showed us the way of servanthood. And He calls you and me to be servants too. I think we need a good, strong dose of that in the church today. And the reason I think that is that that we have an awful lot of arrogance in the church. I would include this church. I think that too much of our time (coughs) is spent worrying about status and privilege and power and position. And in the process, and it's a very subtle thing, but in the process, what happens is we come to church and we walk past, just like the disciples, we walk past the basin, the pitcher, and the towel. And we miss the opportunity to serve. We come to church to get for ourselves. We come to get help for our lives. Now, there is indeed a, a need there, and, and we need each other, and we need help, and we need to be encouraged on all of these things. But it can't be the first thing in our mind. Most of us don't come to church to serve anybody. We've come to church not to help anybody, just to get help for ourselves. We come to get, not give. We come to get. Get for us. We come to get jazzed up by some positive thinking message from the preacher, that we can go out of this room and go out Monday through Saturday and throw our weight around and act like a big shot. And I think that for many of us in the church, we become too big for our britches. We're so impressed with ourselves that we're too proud to do the menial task. We're too impressed with ourselves that we're too proud to pick up the stray paper towel that's fallen to the floor in the restroom. I'll leave that for the lowly custodian to do. We've become so self-important that we are people who don't want to be around those kind of people because we feel superior to them. We're better than they are. We've become so high and mighty that we don't even see the basin pitcher and towel, let alone use it too self-righteous to embrace a wayward sinner, too proud to say, I'm sorry, too indignant to forgive one another who sinned against us, too angry and venomous about the wrong to let it go, too filled up with self-importance to do whatever it takes, no matter how lowly the job is. Now, don't get me wrong. FAC is a great church. I am so proud to be a part of this ministry. I'm proud of the many people who've already caught on to this idea of servanthood and who have rolled up their sleeves and are ministering in a variety of venues, both inside these walls and throughout our region. I'm proud of our youth group and Epic Faith congregation who will this Saturday get out of their comfort zone. On a very busy weekend, they'll take their whole day on Saturday to serve a downtown inner city population as they prepare a pancake breakfast and an Easter egg hunt 
for inner city children and families. That's what I call service. I'm proud of the people who are involved in our FAC food pantry who day, week by week come on Tuesdays and Thursdays and offer their service and extend the compassionate reach of Jesus to people who are down on their luck, who are hungry and needy, who've been unemployed and whose pantries are empty. And those people are there week by week offering, making an offering of love to the least of these. I'm proud of our involvement in the city mission and, and our fuller engagement in what's going on at the city mission. Did you know that two times this year that, that our people will go down and lead a service at the city mission on a Sunday morning? They'll get out of the pew on a Sunday morning and they'll go down and they'll, they'll sponsor a worship service and then they'll serve lunch to the, in, to the people in, in Erie City who are down on their luck. I'm proud of Helping Hands, a brand new ministry that is reaching out to the elderly within our congregation and trying to offer help and assistance when people are, are having a rough go of it. I'm, I'm really, really proud of the kinds of things that I see happening both through our community impact ministries and our global impact ministries. The kinds of ways that we're reaching out here in Erie, but the ways that we're reaching out to places around the world. Yes, indeed, there are many people who are catching on to this idea of servanthood. But can you imagine, folks, can you imagine what would happen if all 1,800 of us who call First Alliance our family, if all of us got fully engaged in this mission of being servants to this community and to this world, can you imagine the deep and profound impact that we would have? And I would ask you today, so what's holding us back? Is it our pride? Is it our arrogance? Or have we become blind to the basin, the pitcher, and the towel? Have we forgotten what our true calling is? To serve one another. To serve this community and to serve this world. FAC is a great church, but I suspect that here, even here, there's still a little bit too much pride and arrogance. And this text reminds us that if we want to be great in the kingdom of God, then we better get used to and comfortable with using these utensils. Servant church is what I call it. Servant church. You know what mega church is. But do you know what servant church is? You, you know, I know you've heard of Christian and Missionary Alliance Church, but, but what about servant church? I know you've heard of Willow Creek and Saddleback and Metro Church. But what about servant church? I'm going to give you two things that I think are happening in the servant church that we need to take hold of, and then we're going to leave. Number one, in a servant church, I think that there's a need to close a gap between our talk and our walk. You know what I find among Christians is that they talk a great game. They say all the right things. They know all the right things to do. But when it comes down to actually doing it, the walk and the talk don't match. 
There are many churches that talk the talk, but they fail to walk the walk. I believe that one of the things that empowers us to walk the walk is our engagement in practicing the spiritual disciplines. I believe that our engagement in the spiritual disciplines allows us to close the gap between our walk and our talk. In other words, I believe that it starts with your prayer life. And until you spend time with the Lord in prayer, you're never going to be motivated to serve. I think it would have been impossible for Jesus to pick up the basin, the water pitcher, and the towel unless He had regularly spent time in prayer and devotion and worship with His Heavenly Father. But because He spent that time in communion with His Father and He knew the Father's heart, then the natural outflow of His life was one of service to others. That's what we need. We need warm hearts. We need bright intellects that will, will are shaped by the molding process of God in our life. And the practice of the spiritual disciplines, I think, is the method by which we close the gap between our walk and our talk. And if you can't serve, or you're not humble enough to serve, or you're filled with arrogance or pride, then I suggest that the first step for you would be, be to get down on your knees and pray, God, give me your heart. And He will give you His heart for others and service. Number two, if you love something, you do it yourself. If you love something, you do it yourself. Example. If there's litter out in the parking lot, which are you more inclined to do? Call the church office, 833-9862. Ask for the church administrator or the facilities manager, Tom Pennell, and say, Tom, I see that our parking lot is littered an awful lot these days. Why don't you get your custodians in shape and get out there and pick up that junk? Or, are you willing to do the lowly job and go out there and pick it up yourself? You see, in a a servant church, there's no job that's too low to do. Oh, it's, it's great to be on the worship team. It's great to be one of the instrumentalists or in the choir. Great to be one of the pastors who have the title and the big office. But we're all called to be servants. And each of us needs to be fulfilling our role as a servant of Christ. And when we do it, the Scripture says, when we do this, we will be blessed if we do it. We will be blessed. You want God's blessing on your life? Then become a servant. What job in the church is too low for you to do? Would you be willing to do the lowest job in the church? There's a wonderful story told about Ray Kroc. You know who Ray Kroc is? The late Ray Kroc, founder of the great McDonald's franchises. And I'm sure you all know about McDonald's because most of you probably ate there this morning before you came to church. One of the secrets of Ray Kroc's success was his fanatical attention to detail. Ray Kroc insisted that each franchise that was under the McDonald's franchises, 
would meet the same standards of efficiency and cleanliness and customer service. Croc was so fixated on neatness that one of his employees once remarked, if you ever see a man in a suit out in the parking lot lot picking up trash, you better get out there and help him because it's probably Ray Croc. As the story goes, one day Ray Kroc pulled into the parking lot of a McDonald's franchise at 55th and King Drive in downtown Chicago. Apparently the parking lot was not uh, up to standard, was filled with clutter and litter and didn't meet the expected standards of cleanliness that McDonald's and Kroc had become famous for. Ray Kroc had several options as he pulled into that parking lot. He could have gotten on the phone and called corporate headquarters to find out what the name of the manager was and call the manager personally and ream him out for not meeting expectation. He could have ordered his limo driver to get out of the front seat and start picking up litter. He could have gone into the store and announced to all the franchise employees, hey, I'm Ray Kroc, I'm the big kahuna, the big cheese, and I expect all of you to get out into the parking lot and pick up that litter and get it up to standard. He could have done any one of those things. But do you know what Ray Kroc did? According to the story, he opened the door of his big black stretch limo and the billionaire Ray Kroc walked around that parking lot at 55th and King Drive and he picked up every piece of litter himself and disposed of it. The point is, he loved it enough to do it himself. I'm reminded that there are some parking lots in our community on the parking lots of life people who are considered trash and refuse, people who have no dignitas, no dignity or honor. And Jesus is cruising our neighborhoods and He sees us and rather than forming a committee or a task force or sending an emissary, Jesus, seeing us in our need, came Himself and gave His life so that I, you and I might be redeemed. And I want you to know that there was a day when as a piece of trash in one of life's parking lots, that God by His grace picked this old piece of trash up and He saved me. I remember that day so clearly when I surrendered my heart and life to Jesus. And I want to tell you, not because there's anything inherently good in me, but because of Jesus and His transforming power in my life, I am no longer a piece of trash. But now I'm a person of value and dignitas because Jesus has rescued my soul. And what He has done for me, He wants to do for you.
And when you invite Him into your heart and life, I want you to know that the process and the work has just begun. Because when He saves you, when He rescues you from your sin, then He expects you to turn around and He wants you to pick up the pitcher and the basin and the towel and to begin serving. You are, as the old-timers used to say, you are saved to serve. May God help this church to be a servant church. And when we learn this, and when we do it, Jesus says, you will be blessed. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, your word reminds us that greater love has no man that a man lay down his life for a friend. In this week, when we remember the finished work of your son Jesus on the cross, we see his unimaginable love for us. We ponder these truths in our own hearts. We pray, O oh God, that you would give us a servant heart in our relationships with one another. Thank you, Lord, for the beautiful example of the love of Jesus Christ in the washing of the disciples' feet. God, I would pray right now that, that every ounce of pride that is in me might be broken. Break down every idol. Cast out every foe. Now wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. God, would you take away every bit of desire for dignity, or prominence, or prestige, or honor, or applause, and help me, Lord, to be molded and shaped into the image of Christ who was the servant of all, make me and all of us in this place, make us servants, make us a servant church. Humble us even as Jesus was humbled to wash His disciples' feet. Help us to be willing to move out of our comfort zones, to get down and dirty and do the thing that is the low task of the lowest slave. For God, we understand that until we live like this and serve like this with this humble kind of love, the world is not going to know that we belong to You. So make us servants, Lord. Make us servants, we pray. In Jesus' name.